I predict going forward that more and more firefighters are going to be issued uh, different kinds of protective gear that will protect them in high crime situations like this. The past few years have been like no other. A worldwide pandemic basically shut the world down and has forever changed the way we live. While that was happening, frustrations were boiling over. Business closures, loss of jobs, economic hardships, social injustices, political grievances. All of these and other reasons led to a sharp increase in demonstrations, protests, and public disorder. The term civil unrest soon became part of our everyday vocabulary. Civil unrest also challenged all first responders who had to balance keeping the law and protecting people and property safe while making sure they protected themselves as well as their departments and didn't cause an escalation in civil unrest. In this podcast, we'll discuss a new training program for fire departments that will help them prepare their jurisdictions and themselves for periods of civil unrest. Hello and welcome to Knox and Friends. The past several years have been unlike any other. A worldwide pandemic fundamentally changed the way we live and work. And during this pandemic, we saw a rise in civil unrest. The violent George Floyd protests and the January 6th Capitol Hill riots are just a couple of the civil unrest incidents that seem like we watched each night on the news. What exactly is civil unrest? Civil unrest occurs when people gather and act out violently, requiring public safety officials to get involved. Most demonstrations are peaceful, however, some may become violent. Knowing how to prepare your jurisdiction in advance can protect first responders, your equipment, and the community you serve from experiencing harm during any period of unrest. INSEPS the National Association of State Fire Marshals, also known as NASFM, which recently launched an awareness and prevention training course focused on helping fire prevention agencies prepare for civil unrest. In this podcast, we will discuss more about the creation and the value of the new program, Bridging the Gap, Preparing Your Jurisdiction for Civil Unrest. Joining us today are Chief Jim Tidwell and Phil Oaks, the duo that led this effort. Giving Jim's bio may take the entire length of our podcast time, so I'll try to keep it short. In a 30-year career with the Fort Worth, Texas Fire Department, Jim's duties included everything from firefighting to a stint as interim chief of the department. Jim then served as vice president of the International Code Council and then as code consultant for the Fire Equipment Manufacturers Association. Today, Jim serves as principal of Tidwell Code Consulting. Phil Oakes is the chief of operations and training for NASFM. Phil also served as the fire training director for the state of Wyoming and as the fire chief for the Laramie County Fire District Number 4 in Wyoming. Thank you both for joining us today. Let's start with Phil. Tell us a little bit about NASFM and how this project came to be. Well, Neil, thanks for having us today. Um, the membership of NASFM, uh, or the National Association of State Fire Marshals, comprises the most senior fire officials in the United States. State fire marshals' responsibilities vary from state to state, but marshals tend to be responsible for fire safety code adoption, um, fire and arson investigation, fire incident data reporting and analysis, and a lot of other things. Um, but again, it does vary a little bit from state to state. But at its core, NASFM's basic mission is twofold, to protect human life and property and the environment from fire, and to approve the efficiency and effectiveness of state fire marshals' operations by doing so to help the public that they serve. What NASFM saw was a need for help building around the country. Events of civil unrest can tax your local resources, result in property damage, 
and lead to responder injury and death. In 2020, according to insurance estimates, damage caused by riots and civil unrest exceeded about $1 billion. In 1992, $775 million in damage was caused by incidents of civil unrest, which is actually $1.4 billion in today's money. And at least 17 people died as a result of the various incidents sparked by the uh, George Floyd incident that you mentioned previously. The vast majority of damage caused during these events is the result of fires either set intentionally or as secondhand effects of the civil unrest or, or riot events. Knowing this, uh, NASWM determined that there was definitely a need to educate fire departments and emergency and code officials in a position to make a change on what could be done to help mitigate the firefighter safety issues, fires, damages, injuries, deaths, and other situations related to civil unrest incidents. Thus, to gain support and funding for this project, we applied for a grant under the Assistance to Firefighters Grant Program, specifically the Fire Prevention and Safety Section, and we're lucky enough to be awarded with a grant and proceeded to develop this project. And you had to find someone to lead the effort to put this report and training program together, and you found Jim Tidwell. And that was actually an easy find for us. We've worked with Jim Tidwell on a number of projects in the past over the years. In fact, he's been the primary author on our entire Bridging the Gap series. And like I said, that's gone back a long time as far as those projects that we've worked on there. Jim, as you previously mentioned, is well-known throughout the code community and an expert on crowd manager training. He also brought several other experts with him on the topic um, to the table to help us with this project from areas we hadn't even thought of previously, um, including some folks that work, for example, for the Atlanta Falcons and some other folks that had worked in Los Angeles and throughout the country. And I couldn't think of anyone else to be who would be more qualified to be the author of this program. And, and Jim, while civil unrest is a relatively new term, I guess, in today's vocabulary, you've been offering crowd management training for over a decade, which kind of made you the perfect choice for this, didn't it? Well, thanks for uh, thanks for mentioning the program, Neil. The you know this online crowd manager program is really intended to provide a a route to compliance for the NFPA and ICC requirements for trained crowd managers in public assemblies. There's certainly a correlation between that and the uh, dealing with crowds during civil unrest, but. In reality, our effort to address the civil unrest from a fire prevention perspective is, I think, unique because in fire prevention, we've never really looked at the criminal aspect before. But during civil unrest events, it's obvious that there are some things we may be able to do ahead of time to, to prevent some damage that occurs during those, those uh, I'll just call them events for now. And, you know, civil unrest was just not uh, something that we were going to see end as the pandemic ends. According to a report by a company called Verisk Maplecroft, the world is facing an unprecedented rise in civil unrest as governments grapple with the impacts of inflation, falling wages, political division, as well as many other factors. And before last year's election, there was even a report that the U.S. was heading to civil war. So, Jim, when people think of civil unrest, violent protests come to mind. But civil unrest can include many other types of occurrences, can it? Uh, ab absolutely, Neil. And let's let's hope we're not headed towards civil war anytime soon or, or ever, for that matter. But, you know, civil uh, unrest, more often than not, starts out as a uh, a peaceful endeavor. I, I think about, you know, sporting events, uh, a big basketball game or a big football win. People want to go out and celebrate, and those celebrations uh, sometimes grow into events that 
frankly embarrass the universities or the, the communities where they occur. And it's if we think back to, you know, to our days in, in college and, and even high school, we, we learned in basic psychology classes that people behave differently when they're in big groups. And sometimes there's a competitive nature to see who, who can outdo the other in creating, uh, garnering attention to, to what, whatever they're doing. You know, so you start out with a sporting event or you start out with a, a protest, such as in New York City the other day when the, the former president was arraigned. I mean, New York City police and, and public safety personnel, they, they committed thousands of people to preparing for what could have been a fairly violent outcome. The actual event, any of us watched it on the news, we found out there were probably more uh, more news people on site than there were protesters. But protesters want to call attention to their cause. And most protesters do not want violence because that actually can detract from, from their cause. So there, there's always a... a a component of people within that crowd that are are wanting to call attention to themselves. Some of them intentionally commit criminal acts, and and that's the reason they're there. But by and large, most people want to start out, most people do start out being nonviolent, and it just escalates as, uh, as, as the people, again, try to call more attention to themselves. When NASM launched uh, this program, it was said that a paradigm shift was needed by inspectors. Jim, can you elaborate more on that? Sure. A typical fire inspector is going to go about his or her day inspecting properties for accidental fires. And they're going to look at, uh, at egress routes, make sure that they're open and, and, and not blocked. They're going to look for fire hazards, things like frayed electrical cords, uh, sprinkler systems that are out of date need to be maintained. It's the typical thing that that a fire inspector goes through. And seldom do we really look at the criminal aspect. In other words, an arson or, or something like that. So we have these codes in place. And while they're not really intended or most of them aren't written with criminal acts in mind, they do provide a lot of flexibility to the fire inspector. And so if a community is going to experience a march or a celebration or an indictment where it's likely or or possible that it's going to create civil unrest, then there there are things an inspector can do to get out in front of that event and remove some things or or secure some some sites uh, that will make it much more difficult for those who want to commit violent acts to do so. And I'm I'm talking about things like a a construction site. If if you have a construction site with a pallet or two full of bricks, those bricks make pretty good devices for those who would create violence to to attack police or or other authorities. Uh, Securing that site, getting the bricks out of there, maybe removing things like welding rigs and things like that, flammable liquids. Getting ahead of it is possible, but it requires inspectors to look at it from a little different perspective. And that's what I meant by change in in paradigm. 
Another important aspect uh, of preparation is increased communication and collaboration with other agencies. Um, and I know the the report or the training program goes a little bit into that. Jim, can you talk a little bit about that? Boy, I mean, this this is probably as critical as as any component in, in planning for an event like this. I was fortunate or unfortunate enough to be the incident commander in the early stages of a tornado that went through downtown Fort Worth, striking <clears throat> half a dozen high-rise buildings, among among other things. And you have so many agencies involved from uh, from FEMA uh, to the local police, local fire, local EMS groups. Then you have the business community. It's just a lot to wrap your head around. And so our focus or our, our suggestion is that if your fire prevention agency hasn't already, try to establish really good relationships with law enforcement, the business community, all of the players that are going to be involved should an event occur. Once those relationships are, are built and constructed, they need to be exercised fairly regularly because if, like anything else, if you don't use it, you lose it. So, you know, tabletop exercises once or twice a year to encourage the communication is great. And making decisions about who's going to make the final decision is is important so that we don't get into a... Uh, a situation where someone may not understand whose authority it is to to make a certain decision, and I can point to some of the uh, some of the recent crowd crush events that have occurred where the event coordinator says, "Well, it wasn't my job to make the call to cancel the the event or to do something about it," and uh, the fire chief and the police chief and all the others are saying, well, you know, it really wasn't our role to do that. So it's important that the players in one of these events understand whose authority uh, starts and stops where. And that way, everybody knows what their role is. And, and there's no confusion when somebody says, you know, stop it here or start it there. If that makes sense. I'm not sure. Yeah, it sure does. And you know, it seems like one of the first steps to take uh, in preparation would be to make sure that the buildings and property in areas are most likely to encounter civil unrest activities, such as, let's say, a busy downtown area, must be ready with fire protection systems. Uh, would that be accurate, Jim? It It is. I mean, it's it's going to be difficult for a vandal to carry out their illegal work while a, a sprinkler is is spraying on their head, getting wet is a is a is a real detractor. Or it's a it's hard to be a vandal when you're wet and it's uncomfortable and it smells bad. One of the things we found, and uh, I think you'll appreciate this, when one of my first jobs when I left uh, fire operations and went into fire prevention. We had a brand new program. We were testing every standpipe system in the city of Fort Worth. And in a period of two years, we tested over 200 systems. And I can tell you that well over 90% of those systems were not code compliant. Roughly half the systems weren't even serviceable at the time. And probably the, the most common problem was obstructions to the fire department connection because of missing caps or, or broken caps or something like that. And what I found was that the two and a half inch inlet on a fire department connection 
is almost exactly the same size as a beer can or a soda can. And for some reason, people like to put those cans uh, inside those, uh, those connections. So just as a matter of course, it's important to protect those connections. In the case of uh, potential civil unrest, I think it, it gets even more important because that's going to be a target for a lot of these people. Yeah, matter of fact, after one protest in a large Midwestern city, we received a call from a fire marshal there that was very concerned with debris that they found in uncapped fire department connections. They found garbage, food, clothing, signage, you name it, it was found in an un- uncapped FDC. They even found what really scared them was they found an unlit Molotov cocktail next to an FDC. And while there was no serious damage done because of that, the marshal did tell us that they had no confidence after that in any of the fire sprinkler systems working in their downtown area, which was full of um, older government buildings. So I'm sure you could appreciate that, Jim. I can. Phil, did did you have something to add? Yeah, um, just maybe to lighten the mood, because we've been pretty serious so far, but I just actually measured the uh, soda can diameter (laughs) that I'm sitting here sipping, and it's two and a half inches exactly, which tells you it fits just perfectly (laughs) into an FDC. Yeah, and the water bottles uh, fit as well, too. They make a little more noise because they're plastic, but they they get jammed in there pretty easily as well. It's probably off the subject, but we we found a pair of overalls in a fire hydrant one time. So, there's no telling what you're going to find in these in these things. It's it's a little crazy, uh, and I'd hate to be the guy walking around without the overalls on after that as well. <laughs> <laughs> you know, while, while civil unrest has potential to damage property, there's a real significant risk though to first responders as well as their equipment. Can you talk a little bit about that, Jim? A little bit, yeah. I mean, it's it's painfully obvious. Uh, you know, I mean, firefighters face inherent risks every day. I mean, the job is just, again, inherently dangerous. But we equip these firefighters with turnout gear, helmets, breathing apparatus, those kinds of things. But all of that is intended to protect them in case they have to go in and fight a fire. It really has nothing to do with being exposed to flying rocks, bottles, bricks, gunshots, the the things that you're going to find in in civil unrest. So uh, some departments are beginning to outfit their firefighters with different gear. It's it's really not come so much from the civil unrest aspect. It's coming from the active shooter uh, problem that we've got in this country. So I predict going forward that more and more firefighters are going to be issued uh, different kinds of protective gear that will protect them in high crime situations like this. I think it's sad that we have to do that, but uh, I think it's Im- important that we provide our firefighters, our first responders with as much protection as we can. Yeah, and we could probably do a three-hour podcast or longer on this subject, so I want to start closing by Going to Phil, and could you could you explain to us how the training program is structured? Certainly, the the core of the program is, of course, the twenty five page guide, bridging the gap, preparing your jurisdiction for civil unrest. We could have made it larger, but we wanted to make sure that we covered the material in a way that people could find easy to use, easy to digest, uh, simple to read, and to fit the time frame which people generally have these days. You know, people's time is 
is so important. So we want to make sure to get the get the high points to them. That guide served as a means to develop uh, a classroom training program, which in turn served as the basis for the online training program. Now, the online training program is about 30 to 45 minutes, and it's it's really, really well done. Um, I like some of the, the video in video and some of the interactivity to it goes really well. And built into that program are all the applicable code references, tips and techniques and methods to help out that local fire official. Once a, a student completes the program, uh, they can print out their certificate. But in addition, they also gain access to all the additional resources that are there and available. You can download the guidebook. You can download at that point the classroom PowerPoint with all the notes they need to present that program in-house and several additional resources that we've got in there uh, that we were able to gather up as we were researching this project. Now, keep in mind that this is from a fire prevention standpoint. While there are some operational guides in there, that wasn't the point. We didn't want it for to tell your fire department how to respond to these incidents. That's for you to do. But we did want to change, as we discussed earlier, kind of how the fire inspector looks at it. So you've got to keep that in mind throughout the program. So, and additionally, the one thing I do want to add is if a student has some additional resources that they want to add to the program, for example, to that resource collection that we have, we'd be more than happy to get them um, from them and plug that in once we've had a chance to, to review them. Excellent. And how can people learn more about this program and where can the online training be found? Uh, individuals can find out more about that program on the NASFM website. That's firemarshals.org. Um, so you can go there. You can email me directly. That's phil, P-H-I-L, at browning.red. So phil, P-H-I-L, at browning, B-R-O-W-N-I-N-G, dot red. And to actually take the training program, you can go to nasfm-training.org. So nasfm, N-A-S-F-M, dash training.org and take the training. It's free of charge. And while you're there, there's eight other courses that you can take as well. That's awesome. And there's nothing better than free, right? I want to thank you both for joining us today. And let's hope that the experts are wrong when it comes to an anticipated growth of civil unrest. But in case they're right, at least now we have a new valuable program to help fire departments and inspectors and code officials better prepare. Thank you again, both of you. Thank you, Neil. Thanks for having us. Thanks.